Welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist, a podcast for feminists of the future. Today we are not your average feminists, but tomorrow we will be. I'm Christina. I'm Sarah. And I'm Amanda. Well, welcome back to Not Your Average Feminist. This week we're mixing it up, and I am very excited to introduce my friend and our guest host, Lindsay Fifield. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Sarah. So uh, we've been wanting to have you on for a while now, and I'm going to tell you all why. Um, First of all, she's one of my besties, um, but you might know her more as a social media manager for the Heritage Foundation, Um, and she's also... um, she also does a social for their media arm, The Daily Signal. She's a co-host of the Laney Brains podcast. Go follow them now. Um, she's a senior contributor to America's Future Foundation blog and an advocate for abused and neglected children in the District of Columbia's family court system. So thanks, Fifi, for joining us. Um, this is a really sobering topic, and we've been going back and forth over the last six months to try to figure out how how we wanted to even tackle this, but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the woman's issue of the 21st century, which of course is abortion. We are a feminist podcast after all. So um, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, we want to emphasize that we're all coming at this issue very intentionally, and we will be very careful not to fall into any of the typical tropes of mischaracterizing the intentions of folks on either side of the spectrum of beliefs on this topic. Um, It's super easy to characterize or caricature people with opposing views rather than your own. And the truth of the matter is really, at the end of the day, pro-choice people do not like or want to kill babies and pro-life advocates do not want to force women into having babies a la Handmaid's Tale. So. Neither of these views represent the vast majority of Americans, and we also believe that it doesn't represent women. So with that, shall we start, ladies? Yeah, I yeah. should. Um, I'll just uh, tee it up a little bit to follow up on what you said, Sarah. So like, obviously, yes, this is the big women's issue of the 21st century, like you said, but also it's been in the news a lot lately, and so that's partly why we like really wanted to do this episode. Um, and it's been in the news a lot lately. Um, I'm sure everyone's heard there have been several um, pro-life bills signed into law recently in states around the country. Um, a lot of them are called fetal heartbeat bills. So states like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio, Louisiana, Missouri, Iowa, Kentucky, Mississippi all have fetal heartbeat laws on the books. Some of those are being held up in the court system, but they at least have laws um, that the governors have signed. Um And so there's that that has sparked a lot of conversation. And on the other side, um, there's also a movement in other states to pass um, some really radical pro-abortion bills. For instance, Illinois uh, recently passed what they called the Reproductive Health Act, which establishes abortion as a fundamental right and says that a, quote, fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus does not have independent rights. Um, That follows um, what happened in January in New York. Governor Cuomo signed a bill allowing abortion for any reason up until 24 weeks, and creating lenient health exceptions that would make it easier to abort a child up until delivery. Um, So things for like mental health or psychological reasons. Um, Virginia Democrats also considered a similar bill to expand access uh, to abortion during the third trimester. Um, I don't believe that bill ultimately went anywhere, but um, it was in the news nonetheless. 
So that's where we are. And that's why um, we thought it's so pertinent to talk about this right now. Yeah. And I, and I'll, I mean, I guess I can jump back in. This is mm-hmm. Lindsay. I'm so glad we're talking about this. And thank you again, just for having me on because I'm, this is not a topic. I, I thought I would come on to this podcast and we talk about something really <laughs> cool and fun. Um, but this is a really Next important time. issue. So I'm very glad that you guys have me on to talk about it because I'm just happy to see women speaking up on this issue. And especially, I think it's important for conservative women to, to make their voices heard about it because doing it in a constructive and positive way is so important because we know there are so many stereotypes about both sides that are kind of rampant. And I think they're untrue on both sides. So this is a really good opportunity to show how many great pro-life resources there are, how many misconceptions there are out there and kind of change the conversation away from those really extreme views, which I think late-term abortion is very extreme. But then, of course, you know, people might think that completely illegalizing and overturning Roe v. Wade is extreme. And so we can get into that a little bit later. One reason, you know, I'm so glad that you talked about the different legislation moving through different state houses. One reason that um, you, you could say that all these bills are are similar is that they are the same bills. You have um, NARAL and Planned Parenthood have very well-funded um, advocacy, legal advocacy arms that work in state legislatures um, and fully resource all of these offices, even right down to writing their press releases. And so if you see um, a lot of the emails that come out after um, a, a lot of these debates, you see that. Um, they're they're working right down to the oh we we don't want to say um, right to choose anymore because we feel like that's really divisive like they're really taking steps to kind of um, curtail their language and kind of get back um, get back on message in a way that I don't think conservatives often do like I feel like we're way less organized than the left when it comes to kind of orchestrating these really important movements we kind of just run around willy nilly and say our own things and so you kind of tend to have in the pro life movement a very vast landscape of diverse viewpoints. You've got people who only make faith-based arguments for abortion. And when they go out and talk to people who have no faith background, they sound cuckoo bananas. And I hate that because even though I'm a Catholic, I literally never have made a pro-life argument from a faith-based position because I don't have to, because it's not necessary. You don't have to be against, you don't have to talk about loving Jesus to make the case against abortion. And so I think that is critically important. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I think the first thing that you guys really wanted to get into was, uh, I promise we don't have to make this like a a conversation about faith necessarily, but I guess this this is just an existential question. You asked, is abortion an immoral act? And I think that's such an important question. And I think what will be really important is to see how all of us have different viewpoints, even though we're all conservative women, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, when we were sketching this out, we were like, fundamentally, what what is everyone fighting about? And, mm-hmm. and it seemed like it was really two big buckets. And then there's like a third side bucket. Is it a morality issue? Is it a legality issue? Or are we fighting about money? Because I feel like a lot of conservatives always go straight to a more, or not even conservatives, like a more libertarian approach where it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter what I think about morality-wise, but, or government-wise, I just don't want to pay for it. Right, like the Hyde Amendment and things like that. Correct. Is that what you mean? Okay, yes. like taxpayer dollars going to something that you oppose. Yes. Right. Got I it. More as an individual choice kind of thing. So, I, I mean we can let's just start with the morality issue how about that (laughs) yeah um because I feel like that's kind of what we hear most most from people on the right 
and the left since that and the left too yeah that's true um, I think it's so, interesting. like i think Lindsay's point is interesting too about the faith-based arguments because like it's important to tell people especially women out there that you don't have to be religious to be pro-life so as far as your question though like it's hard because like yes do i personally think abortion is immoral yes but do i also think that like the government should be in the business of legislating morality not all the time. And I know that's like one of those like cliche things that people throw out there a lot, like like conservatives, like government shouldn't legislate morality. But sometimes when we're talking about life and death, like they should. Well, Roe versus Wade invented a constitutional right to abortion that doesn't actually exist in the Constitution. Right. So it's not that's the government getting in the way, actually. So the government got in the way when the Supreme Court said, it's okay, you can kill your babies now. So actually, if we're going to talk about the government getting into the getting into the mix, that's when they started doing that. Before then, it was just, hey, we all agree that this is murder and we shouldn't do it. Cool. And, you know, a lot of misinformation had to happen. And of course, like the sexual revolution was going on at the time. And there was just a lot brewing around Roe versus Wade when that decision was made. Um, it, the, the staff of NARAL later admitted that they fabricated almost all of the talking points that they'd made about um, the number of women who were dying in illegal abortions. And they fabricated those numbers, one, to create sensation around the country and to freak people out and make people think that it was a much bigger issue. And of course, you know, back then it was a lot harder to kind of combat those narratives, but also it created a kind of hysteria in the Supreme Court because those justices saw those stats and said, wait a minute, really? This many women are dying in abortions that are back alley abortions? We really need to do something about this. And, you know, that's when they kind of, you know, invented a right that didn't actually exist. And so um, I'm not, it's so funny. I never thought that I was going to be someone who was like, yep, let's overturn Roe v. Wade. I am, I think that the more friends I have who have children and the more time I spend around children who are in um, either abuse and neglect situations or in foster care or are being adopted out because their lives have inherent value. And for people to say like, no, they should have just been aborted is so cuckoo bananas that we even feel comfortable saying mm -hmm. that and that we've come to a place in our society where we devalue human life so much makes me really sad, especially considering that the left likes to say that conservatives um, don't care about people or that we we lack compassion. When I think the, the pro-life argument really demonstrates that we do deeply and profoundly care about human life. And, and I think we need to make a much better point of showing it um, in, in all ways, not just on the abortion issue. I agree. And to take it back a little, you mentioned that... Um, NARAL and some of these groups are making a concerted communications effort to change their wording from like pro-choice to maybe like fundamental human rights, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And I think that is in large part because they uh, they know that they will lose mm -hmm. all of when, when does personhood begin? When does an individual right begin? And so conservatives are, uh, not all the conservatives, but, well, yes, conservatives. It's either at conception or you see a whole bunch of bills that try to put, like, little bogeys there. Like, six weeks, 20 weeks, you know? Yeah. Up the third trimester, this kind of stuff. And it just gets into, um, it just reminds me of 
my ethics class in college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do all these like, what if kind of things. And I feel like if you just pose that question to anyone, my husband and I were talking about this the other day. There's really, it seems like you can only be, cons- you can only take a consistent stance is if you either believe that uh, personhood be- begins at conception or it begins at birth. Because right. How can you draw a line otherwise? Well, I mean, obviously we have so many, like fetal, fetal research has come so, so far, even in just the past few years. But I had an intern last year who was born at 24 weeks in the 90s, um, you know, back before a lot of these major advances had been made and he lived. And so a lot of, um, a lot of these bills that kind of look at viability outside the womb. So obviously, I don't think there are very many people. In fact, the the percentage of Americans who support birthday abortions is something under like half of a percent. Um, and so I, I love digging into the polling on this issue, too, because it really is fascinating. And it, it also is it just demonstrates how easily. Um, you know, a lot of Americans are very, very divided on this issue and very, very persuadable on this issue. And so pro-lifers, what you say really makes a huge difference in the way that you present yourselves on the issue really matters. But um, so when you come out and say like, well, you know, if you miss a period and you didn't know you were pregnant, like, can you really fault a woman? Why that doesn't really make a huge difference to me. I don't really understand why that should weigh into whether or not it is moral, you know, to have an abortion because the circumstances of it don't change the fact that it's a human life. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I agree. But what about you guys? As far as stages of development, and I know I'm Catholic, and the funny thing is, I've thought this way before becoming Catholic. This has nothing to yeah. do with that. But actually, um, Christina, you're you're Catholic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there are three Catholics on this podcast. Oh man, I, I was really hoping we have like a diverse viewpoint of conservative women because I'm well, I'm like not a cradle Catholic, and I'm pretty woo woo. So like, it's fine. Protestant. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. Well, Christina, you're a cradle Catholic. I'm a cradle Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's, um, well, Lindsay and I are both converts, so they, I feel like that's yeah. extreme. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, Amanda, yeah. for example, uh, I, I know we share the same mm-hmm. belief on this, but, yeah. you know, when it comes to people putting bogeys out there for like, oh, abortion's allowed up until X amount of weeks, mm-hmm. like, what do you, what do you say to people? I mean, I, I fall down, I think I fall kind of on the same lines as like you and Lindsay is like, I view, my personal view is that life begins at conception. And for me, that comes out of my faith background. Um, I was taught that growing up. Um, I internalize it as an adult and I, that's what I believe. Um, but I also know that you, know, I think that you can make that argument even without that. Um, religious upbringing. So, Science. Yeah, it's its, exactly. own, it's its own unique DNA footprint <laughs> from the and moment I mean, it exists. someone who's yeah. like, I, you know, I'm not like a science nerd at all. So I don't understand a lot of the science. I'm just going to be honest. But, um, you know, I do think that I, I'm one of those people that is like, yes, I'm, I like to think I'm very consistent. And I've always said, I view that life begins at conception. And that's just the way that I look at the world and the way that I look at this issue. And some people say, wow, that's like really radical and extreme and like close-minded of you. Well, yeah, it's not, but here's I, the thing. I know. And like, it's obviously, just, 
if you once you're conceived, you're just you're teeny, teeny, tiny. And um, I don't know when you have a heartbeat, but you know, so many of these heartbeat bills, um, in my, in my view, it doesn't even matter. So, okay, you have the, the fetus has a heartbeat. Does it have a liver? Does it have a functioning brain? No, Mm -hmm. it it wouldn't be able to sustain it, sustain itself outside of the womb. But like life is life. It is on a, it's on a, uh, it's, um, progressive it's progressing in the direction of life it's cells are dividing and multiplying and things are being formed like uh, if otherwise undeterred this is going to become a fully human adult one day right all things considered so it's it's when people throw these things down like oh no at 20 weeks you can have an abortion up to 20 weeks, but what about, you know, 20 weeks in one day? Yeah, it just makes it like this whole sliding scale thing just makes it like, okay, like, what, what, like, where do we do that in any, anything else? Like it's, it's okay on this day, but it's like less bad here. And it's like slightly a little bit more bad on this side of this day. Like, it just seems like a really bizarre way to set legislation around stuff like this. Like it's either wrong and the government should stop it or it's not. Um, yes. The date of uh, the date of uh, viability for for um, fetuses in the womb, especially preemies, it's it's getting earlier and earlier every year. And I honestly mm-hmm. believe there's going to be a point in time when you know, science and technology is going to evolve to a point to where we're going to be able to like fully like incubate, yeah. uh, you know, fetus from like day one all the way, you know, week, you know, 40 or whatever. Yeah. And, and I really do feel like this is going to be one of those things that, I don't know, 100 years, 200 years from now, people are going to look back and think this is the most barbaric act that has ever existed. Well, like, right. maybe, hopefully, or it goes the other way. And we all of a sudden have a society where we have conversations like Ralph Northam suggested, where, you know, the parents have a, a conversation about what to do with their child. You know, that's like either in an incubator or like whatever. And I think I'll play devil's advocate on that because even though no one would expect me to play devil's advocate (laughs) on Ralph Northam advocating infanticide, but the argument that the left was making after those comments were made, I watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy. I'm sure you guys too do as well. And of course, Shonda Rhimes had to invent a pro-life character that was like the most ugly caricature of what a pro-life woman is. And it was not an honest depiction of what any pro-life woman actually feels like. And of course she had to have this character have a fetal abnormality in a pregnancy that resulted in needing to be, um, in her child needing to be aborted to, to save her life. And so she had to grapple with this, like, oh, wait a minute, I guess I do need abortion. And you know, it was this really stupid episode that made me so, so angry. But in the end, that is something that very, very, very rarely does happen. I think it was trisomy 18 or um, the one where the, the whatever the abnormality is when uh, a baby is born essentially completely non-viable and, and only has a few minutes to live. And so they went ahead and delivered the baby, which that's what that is. They didn't have an abortion. It wasn't, you know, that's what I really wanted to shout was like, that's not what abortion is. They delivered the baby. They induced early labor and she had her baby early. That's not an abortion. Um, mm-hmm. If that's what abortion was, I think a lot of people would have a different view on it. Yeah. Um, so she just had an early delivery of a baby that was in something in the 20 week range. Um, and they were able to, you know, love on the baby, acknowledge that it was a human life, 
um, and, uh, you know, say goodbye to their child that they had just, it was a very, that part of it was very, very sad. It was, um, and so that was when they had to make that decision. And they, and then of course they had to say like, isn't it great that we live in a state where we're allowed to do this? There are so many other states where this would have been illegal and the police would have come and like taken you away or something like that. And I was just like, that's not true. And, you know, so that's what I think Ralph Northam was trying to say was those conversations, like in a situation where a baby is born and there's no chance of that child living and the baby, like then the doctor comes to the parents and says like, do you want us to like fight to keep this kid alive, which could result in, you know, just a painful, painful and, you know, for, for no reason, or should we just let you have skin to skin contact and love on this child until it quietly and peacefully passes away. And so I think that's what he was trying to say. And in fact, later when he clarified, I believe that is what he said that he was trying to say. So I don't, I, I really do think that the dog pile, I mean, yes, Virginia deserved every bit of the hate that they got for the extreme uh, late-term abortion bill that they were trying to pass that he did not come out against. So yes, he is still an extremist on abortion. But in that case, no, I don't think he was really like pro-infanticide. He wasn't suggesting that, you know, but but he also wasn't saying we should make an exception for fully viable, perfectly healthy babies um, mm-hmm. that are that are uh, aborted in the late term. And we know that that happens thousands of times every year. So even though that it's only like 5% of abortions, um, which is what they always say, you know, oh, it's only 5% of abortions or late term abortions. It's such a rare thing. Yeah, only only 5% of car crashes in the United States are fatal and that's still thousands of deaths every year. Should we not care about car crashes either? Like just because it's a small percentage doesn't mean it's still a small number. So, and it's still, it's still profoundly uh, unnecessary and wrong. Mm-hmm. So yes. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And I think going back to it, it, it just comes down to um, when people are arguing about abortion pro or against um it's it's they're thinking about is this another human or is this fully uh the woman's decision because this is part of her body and there is no other there's no there there Mm -hmm. basically and i feel like uh lindsay we've we've had conversations about this before where when polled uh Mm -hmm. democrats uh when put to the when put to like the question, they're very comfortable with abortion in the first trimester, maybe not the third. Mm-hmm. There's a huge range of support once you get into the specifics of that. It and goes I- into the 70s. It's usually like between 72 and 78 percent of women who identify as pro-choice actually support abortion restrictions after the first trimester, which is that's almost the same as you see in, in pro-life communities. I mean, it's pretty, pretty high. Most Americans are not for late-term abortion or even, even women who say that they are pro-choice. And, and I think pro-lifers love to make that argument and conservatives love to point that statistic out. I love to make graphics with that statistic on it because I think it's an important part of the conversation. But then I think if we're going to acknowledge that number, we also have to acknowledge that you know, even though 48% of Americans say that they're pro-life, um, only 28% of Americans want to overturn Ruby Wade. So even within the pro-life community, most pro-lifers don't want to illegalize abortion either. That to them is extreme. So there's a lot of nuance. So there's, you know, pro-lifers are not all 
all or nothing either. So there's there's nuance on both sides. You're not all, you know, when we pick a label, pro-choice or pro-life, there's still a lot hidden in that. Exactly. And so this takes us to the legal side of the argument. It's There are obviously by that statistic, plenty of people that would agree um, that would argue abortion is or is not immoral, but then would still go on to say that it should still be legal and not mm-hmm. um, completely banned. And right. um, I also think that that has plenty of legs there because I feel like that's kind of where majority of people stand. I think majority of people would say, I, w- I don't want to tell anybody else how to make those kind of intimate choices, but I have my own ideas on what I would do. Basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know if anybody else wanted to speak up. I feel like I'm talking a whole <laughs> lot. I could talk about this no, all night great. long. No, I just think it's interesting. Like, I don't know why you guys are talking. Like my mind kind of goes into a million different places on this whole issue. Cause I feel like there are so many different tangents we could jump on, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's, I, I appreciate all the nuance in the varying degrees of opinions on this issue. Um, especially within the pro, I mean, in the pro-choice and the pro-life side, actually, and mm-hmm. and there are degrees to which like people are pro-life and pro-choice. Um, but to me, I guess the thing that has struck me the most in the public discourse the last few weeks, I guess, has just been that w- like the extent to which we really are kind of just like like getting down to business on just on talking about what we're actually talking about here. So mm-hmm. a lot of these bills on um, these pro-abortion bills, it's, it's forcing everyone to kind of confront, like, what are we talking about when we talk about abortion? What are we talking about? What do we mean when we talk about abortion in the third trimester? Like it's mm-hmm. forcing us all as a country to confront, like, is this a human life or is it not a human life? And the thing, um, about like, I guess, like, for instance, the Virginia thing. um, I think the reason why that grabbed so many headlines was just because, you know, Northam was asked that question in a radio interview, like the day after a Democrat in the state legislature was asked point blank, like, does your bill allow an abortion when a woman is dilated, like about to deliver? And she said yes. Mm-hmm. Which is it, kind of, I think, to most people, really extreme and makes people want, like, really consider, like, what is abortion at the end of the day? Like, what are we actually talking about? Like, yes, there's a lot of nuance, but there's also a point where it becomes just really black and white. You well, know? on the born alive <laughs> issue, I think what's crazy was watching the entire Senate fail to, yeah, that to vote in affirmative that if a child is born alive after a botched abortion, that you will give them basic medical care. And I think most Americans see that and say, uh, guys, this is some pretty basic stuff here. And I, I didn't, I, again, going back to the very beginning premise that Sarah laid out, which I think was so important. I don't want to be someone who caricaturizes the other side. Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of my political career doing that. And I think that it has gotten us nowhere good. And so I reached out to friends on the left when that issue was on the floor in the Senate. And I was like, guys, I know I'm missing something here. I know that I am just not understanding. You guys work in these offices. Your boss is going to vote no on this. I need to understand what your argument is because I am only hearing the conservative side and I'm only hearing people say, oh my gosh, what monsters. Please tell me why you don't support this. And they said that it was because they wanted to 
um, it, because there were, it was it was a dangerous precedent for physicians that if physicians were to accidentally allow a child to live an abortion, that they could go to prison if they if they didn't provide medical care. And I was like, um, yeah, that's kind of what doctors do. If a doctor doesn't provide reasonable yeah. basic medical care to anyone, no, they should not be allowed to practice medicine anymore. That's not a slippery slope. That's the standard basic. that's already that's, in place. That's just, that's the Hippocratic oath. Like, yeah. The only yeah. difference is whether or not like this other person wants them that medical care, like the exactly. mother. Like, yeah. And you so see, crazy. it's funny because you see a lot of historical revision on the issue of abortion and you see people like Margaret Atwood have been doing this and really weaponizing it. She's, she's written a lot of, um, period pieces where she um, she wasn't obviously alive during the era that she wrote um, some of her novels in, um, but she uh, invented this, this idea of midwife's mercy as if there were midwives running around in the 19th and 20th centuries, like um, killing babies that mothers didn't want, like after they delivered, if they had too many children, if they were like Irish Catholic and just had too many babies, the midwife would like smother the baby so that they didn't have to deal with it. Um, if they, if that's what the mother wanted. And I, that just isn't a thing that happened. Um, there's no, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there were horrible things that have happened throughout history, but it wasn't like a common practice. Um, but she tried to invent this and put it into the lexicon as if it was a thing that happened and has been like, part of history forever and you see the left doing that with things like handmaid's tale and and they're they're just trying to kind of like pretend that that there are people out there that just want to force women to like be birthing you know cows like running around like oops sorry you're pregnant it's got it's you know now you have to deal with it and that's just not the case and it doesn't really that's not really an honest viewpoint of that side of it either like I think if anything pro-life people have been the ones trying to bring more accountability into abortion practice not even trying to just shut abortion clinics down but trying to say okay guys we need some basic sanitation standards here um, we need some we need some accountability because as much as they try to say like oh Kermit Gosnell that's like that was a super monstrous anomaly like that never happens. Um, but their policies that they're fighting for are what allow people like him to exist and hide in the shadows. Um, so if they really care about women, they should really be self-policing on this. But really the, the, the really conservatives are the ones that come in, you know, Missouri almost just lost their only abortion clinic that they had left in the state. Um, a judge had to step in. And the reason wasn't because, oh, conservatives are just trying to shut them down. It's because they failed to adhere to basic medical standards and, and women's health care practices. And then they also weren't um, alerting the authorities and reporting sex trafficking abuses and abuse to minor children, which I'm sorry, again, that is yeah. your that is your duty as a physician. Yeah. And so they, they try to pretend and say like, oh, it's because we were protecting the privacy of this 14 year old girl and her life would have been ruined if like if her boyfriend had been arrested and it's like that's not your choice you have a you have a duty there's a these are laws for a reason um and that's that's the job and they kind of try to play fast and loose with a lot of these things that have um i think a profound a profoundly detrimental impact on a lot of women which is who they claim to care about yeah you make a really good point because i feel like most of the time that regulations on abortion are ever brought up it's always 
you know, oh, we have to protect this 14-year-old, like you said, because uh, her boyfriend finds out or her parents find out, like, it's mm-hmm. in cases of, like, I don't know, the father. Abuse. Yeah. Using her or whatever, like, then that, that could seriously hurt the girl. But And so they, they will continue to tout those types of cases, but they won't ever acknowledge a case, like you said, what if it is sex trafficking? And, yeah. Um, I feel well, like what if that dad should the be one-sided in prison? Street. It's a one-sided street that always um, it, it always kind of assumes that the woman is empowered and she knows everything and all of her options and she's got total control of the situation. And I honestly don't think that that is. Well, that's we know that's not true. I don't. I don't. I don't we know we, we know that they actively conceal information from women, which you know the the right like we. We. Uh, this is not. I don't think an, a dishonest thing to say. I've seen the information packets. I was in. To, for full disclosure, I was actually a Planned Parenthood volunteer in college my freshman year. I kind of had a little woo-woo phase. Um, I think my pendulum swung back and forth. So I was a Planned Parenthood volunteer. I was a. I was a. Um, a clinic escort. Um, I would wear the oh. little vest and carry a, a boom box and like escort women from their cars into the clinic. So I've seen the pamphlets. I oh. know the information that they're showing. And what they say that they're doing is protecting women who are like emotionally vulnerable and don't want to have to see the ultrasound and it's too hurtful and it's, it's so cruel to make a woman see that and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, you know what, again, this isn't, you know, that's not your decision. And yes, it might be hurtful, but wouldn't you rather a woman have all the facts and be armed with all the information and allow herself to really make a choice? If you, if you trust her to make a choice, why can't you trust her to make an informed choice? And so in, in Texas, um, there was a requirement where they'd have to do a transvaginal ultrasound before having an abortion. Um, and the, the left went nuts. And the messaging war on that was crazy. And the reason conservatives lost that messaging war, um, I think, was because we didn't just point to the straight fact of, hey, um, guys, if she decides to go forward with the abortion, she's g- still going to have to have a transvaginal ultrasound because you have to have one in order to have an abortion. And oh, by the way, when you have an abortion, it's also a transvaginal procedure. And so the idea that like, oh, it's so invasive that they're doing this to this woman, you're talking about going in there and and giving her an abortion, that's pretty invasive. Like, I don't know, but we lose a lot of these messaging wars because we don't really think of things that way. I think we need more women who have more familiarity kind of with the procedure to kind of speak out. That's why I think, Obviously, Abby Johnson and the Unplanned Parent, uh, Unplanned Movie, and former Planned Parenthood. Um, she was like the Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year for crying out loud. That's okay. why she's so effective. And I think former former clinic staffers and people who really know how dishonest they are, um, mm-hmm. and and how kind of what what the what it looks like really on the inside are the most effective advocates for life now because then it's not just some crazy lady in Missouri with a bunch of cats who just loves babies and hates abortion. Like, I, I really think it needs to be a more real and, and, and honest conversation. So I guess on that, then like, I'd be curious to get all of y'all's thoughts on what bothers you most about the current abortion debate and what should, what could the pro-life side do better in terms of messaging, which you kind of are getting at. But, um, I also agree, like we could do a lot better in terms of just reaching out to people that are maybe in the middle um, and we're not that great when, when it comes to messaging about this issue. We're just not. So, um, but I don't necessarily know what the answer is either. 
Well, and I know this really is a big pet peeve of yours, Amanda. Um, the the line that this should be a choice between a woman and oh her. yeah, Ugh, so dumb. Oh, that <laughs> bugs me. That bugs me, and I can go on like uh, just a mini rant. That they line never talk so to you like they don't I, have any. There's no relationship there. I know. So like, if you're you know like you guys are like me, you're on Twitter throughout the day and you will see all these hashtags like shut your abortion and everyone talking about their abortion on, on Twitter. And every time I see one of these stories, I'm like, where is the part where you had that medical conversation with your doctor and, and you guys made a medical decision? Like all I'm mm-hmm. seeing is, Oh, I got pregnant and it was a really bad time for me. Like the timing wasn't great. And I had an abortion and I don't regret it because now I have this amazing career and like, da da da. Like, that's the story. And yeah. so it bugs me every time women go out there and they're like, this is a decision that should be left to women and their doctors. Like, what, when is this like supposedly like amazing conversation taking place where you're going in and asking your doctor for like advice on whether to get an abortion? Right. And I think a lot of pro-life women have hijacked the, the shout your abortion hashtag. So now they're using some other hashtag I can never keep up. Yeah, um, but sure. they, they started saying, oh, actually, yeah, let me shout my abortion. I was abused throughout my teenage years and I had three abortions and I was lied to and like horrible, horrible stories um, that women have come out and shared that are the dark side of abortion that the left really likes to kind of pretend doesn't exist. And just the profoundly um, devastating impact that abortion has on women's mental health throughout her whole life mm-hmm. is, I mean, it is undeniable. And I think one thing that you see a lot of women reach for when they've had abortion is they want someone to tell them that what they did was okay. And so they do actually kind of, that's when you see them kind of mobilize and become kind of like super warriors in the pro-choice movement, because they want someone to confirm to them and just keep saying like, please tell me that what I did was okay. And then they get kind of like angry and rabid and they kind of feel like that is their home. Like this, that movement is their home. And once they kind of lift that veil, um, and, and look at, everything honestly there is a lot more catharsis in uh in just looking at the actual plain truth of it but the reason we miss we lose the messaging more is i think twofold one uh, we don't share those stories as well as we could um and two the left just straight up i mean well the media just straight up ignores the actual reality of what the pro-life movement looks like it's predominantly women it's predominantly driven by um women um, it's extremely well resourced. Like we have, there are so many resources for um, women who are in a, pri- a crisis pregnancy. We do so much to fund and and empower um, women to be moms or to make sure that kids are safe and taken care of, and just with within like charity networks and things like that. And the left likes to pretend that that just doesn't exist and that we're not doing anything and that we're only pro birth and that we just that we just want to force women to have kids and then we just want them to go away. Yeah. Yeah, And that's just, that's patently absurd and untrue. And it's demonstrably untrue because we have the statistics to back it up. It's not like we're just pulling these numbers out of nowhere. Um, But then also we're not, uh, you know, the, the caricature that you see anytime that you see a documentary that the left does about the issue, they make the pro-choice side look like the academic reasonable adults in the room who are just, you know, sitting at the table like, guys, um, we're just trying to protect women's health care. And then they show a conservative side 
They usually show some old white men standing outside an abortion clinic yelling at women about how they need Jesus. And uh, I remember seeing that when I was a Planned Parenthood volunteer in college um, and, and thinking, like, how ugly that was. But then I also knew from my childhood of, you know, waving signs during March for Life mm-hmm. that that's not what the, the pro-life movement looked like either. And I was kind of like, wait a minute, why are there only a bunch of old white men outside these abortion clinics yelling at people? Yes. You know, that's not a good look, guys. Like, like holding your Bible and praying outside of an abortion clinic. Like, what are you doing? Like, really, also, who, uh, yeah. why are you doing that? I also hate it personally when activists go to like college campuses or oh, with the signs with the with the yes the aborted baby. Can we just like, stop that. doing that? I wish I could just ban that and like that. Yeah. Would, I, I feel like that would make the movement go so much farther. I just want to ban those pictures. I don't want to <laughs> ban them. I want the people who are holding them up to know how stupid and counterintuitive it is. Ooh. And I want them to under, like, I make a point anytime that I see those things, because uh, I walk by the Planned Parenthood clinic right here in DC every weekend when I'm walking to Trader Joe's. And if it's an open weekend, there will be protesters out there. And they usually are, um, they usually have a ton of volunteer staff with their vests on, mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood escorts um, standing and, you know, silently kind of keeping uh, a distance between, like, any patients that might enter from the from the folks on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime that I've ever seen them, I usually don't say anything um, to anyone. I just walk by um, but because I have things to do. But if they're holding up the signs with, um, you know, the aborted uh, babies, I'm like, guys, what, what do you, like, I know you think that you're going to like convict someone or that you're going to like change someone's mind when they walk in there. And they probably think that they have, I mean, like, I know that there's, uh, Twitter accounts and there are a lot of pro like activists who think like, you know, those, uh, you know, it's effective. It's not, I'm telling you, it's not. If, even if you think that you're shaming someone into making, a decision that it's not effective and it's not worth it. And it's certainly not worth it to go on college campuses and just start fights with people because that's, that's, that's pushing people. Like I said earlier, there's so many persuadable people on this issue who are sitting in the middle waiting for someone to come up to them and make a reasonable argument. And if the left is jumping around in vagina costumes, talking about killing babies on their birthday, guys, we can pick up some major yardage. So can we please stop waving around pictures of dead children? That's yeah. all I'm asking. Yeah. I don't think that's asking too much. Nope. Nope. Pretty basic stuff got, here. Especially when you got Miley Cyrus, like, basically naked on sweatshirts as your Right. Movement. Why? And Put on like, the sweatshirt, Miley. I don't think you've ever make... worn one. Is that a thing? You haven't seen those? Girl, no. yes. Miley Cyrus teamed up with Marc Jacobs mm-hmm. to do this, like, hoodie sweatshirt to um and all the proceeds go towards Planned Parenthood and it's like $175 but the sweatshirt is just like a picture of Miley like half naked and she's holding fruit up like at her boobs. I don't know. And the sweatshirt the sweatshirt says like um don't F with my freedom and that's another thing that offends me because one I would wear that sweatshirt if it because I love freedom and everybody that I know loves freedom and they're trying to make this an issue of if you don't support this then you don't support freedom and of course conservatives are like wait a minute I love freedom everyone loves freedom no one (laughs) no one owns the market on loving freedom and so that's kind of a dumb dumb argument anyways it's 
pretty silly. But also, like, these are the people who try to say that, like, abortion is only 5% of what Planned Parenthood does. So, like, why are, they, why are they freaking out so much then? Yeah. So, just asking. Okay. Have they never been to an emergency clinic? I don't know. It's, uh. Yeah, right? There are other options, people. They yeah. act yeah. Like the end of the world. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Federally yep. funded clinics are actually like way, way better. Um, and I thought that Obamacare was supposed to make Planned Parenthood obsolete because you get a free well woman visit and contraceptives every year now, right? So why did why do they even need to exist? I've never it's even also, been to it's a Planned also, Parenthood. Oh, I have. But I, I was talking to not not for that. Oh my gosh! Let me clear that up right now. I meant that in not that way. Um, no, 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 no. I, I have, and I also just have so many friends who have, and the funny thing is I have a lot of friends on the left and if you get them talking, they, and they, and they don't feel like they're talking to a pro-life mole, they will tell you that they don't like Planned Parenthood and they will tell you that they're treated like dirt at Planned Parenthood. And they will tell you that it's, uh, the facilities are filthy and the people are nasty and that it is a terrible place. Um, and that other options exist and that they, they, again, to go back to what we were saying earlier, they don't, they lie to women about their options. And I'm not even just talking about abortion. They will make a woman drive 300 miles out of her way to go to the only Planned Parenthood in the state, instead of telling that woman who's supposedly, you know, who they know is in a financial situation, uh, instead of telling her, actually, you know what, there are actually three federally funded clinics that you're going to pass on your way here. You could stop at any one of them and they'll give you contraceptives and it'll probably be cheaper. In fact, it might even be free. And they don't tell women that. And that to me is the thing that, mo- that filled me with the most rage. And that was kind of what woke me up when I was volunteering with them because I was trying to give women like other options and other resources. And they were like, no, no, you can't do that. They have to come here. And I was like, why would you do that if you- these are low income women? Why wouldn't you tell them what their actual options are? And they don't want to do that because they want to, they, it is a business. It's not a, you know, they are fully funded. They are, they are making a profit every year. So the idea that Planned Parenthood is like, you know, scrounging by and needs federal funding is just the most ridiculous fiction. I mean, they, they have the most lavish galas and huge fundraisers and it's a, a joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's another thing, like the sacrament of b- abortion, if the left loves it so much, if celebrities love it so much, why do they keep trying to force taxpayer dollars? Why don't they just pay for it themselves? Like, that's what conservatives did. Like, we make charities. Like, we started foster homes because we were like, oh, we support this thing, so we're going to go out and we're going to put our money behind it and do it. And so we did that. And so now, whenever anyone's like, okay, let's, you know, let's support this thing with taxpayer funding. I'm like, no, no, that's not how it works. If you really support this thing, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Yeah. No, I agree. I'd, I'd say, back to your question, uh, one, of the, one of the things that bothers me the most is when people bring up, um, well, what about rape or incest? Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, what about it? Like, <laughs> terrible. I don't condone those things, but I, I really don't think... Um, the means of conception determines the value of a life. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously it's profoundly sad. And there's a reason that they give the morning after pill to rape victims immediately. So uh, the instances of pregnancy from rape 
are so profoundly rare. Thankfully, in this country, it is, it's, you know, that to me is, a, it's a good thing that it is so rare, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have personal friends who are not just rape survivors. They are literally the children. Their mothers were raped. They don't know who their fathers are. And, um, but they are so happy to exist. They're so happy that they, uh, I shared a video earlier from a birth mom who gave her child up for adoption and they, it was a video interview that they had with her, um, the Archibald project shared because they wanted her to, to say like, okay, so how, like, how are you feeling about this decision that you made? And she was like, now that he's here and now that I'm holding my baby in my arms, I can't, I'm, I can't believe that I ever imagined having an abortion because he, it wasn't his fault what happened to me. And now this beautiful baby exists from this horrible thing that happened. And now this wonderful family is going to have the child that they've been waiting for. And so that helped her heal. Um, and it was a, a I think just a, a happy step in what was a chapter of what otherwise was complete darkness and just bad things that had happened to her. And to me, that's what we're robbing a lot of women of when we say like, Oh, you were raped. You have to have an abortion because then you're, you're making them a victim twice because now something horrible has happened to them. And now you're also, um, abortion is something that you're going to be thinking about for the rest of your life. You're going to carry that guilt with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, that lady is a saint. God bless her. Yeah, I know. That was amazing. It's, it's my, one of my most recent tweets. So you can go look at it. I'll, I can see why that would be so liber or um, liberating is not the right word. I would healing? Say, um, healing. healing, yeah, healing. Uh, it's it's powerful because I mean I don't know as somebody who just recently went through it. Um, I mean I guess especially if you've never had a kid and you find yourself in that kind of situation, it's super scary. But then on the other end, you realize, wow, that really <laughs> was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, totally. That's what's okay. weird. Like you, you were just pregnant, Sarah. So I, you might actually be a really good person to answer this question. Um, you know, no, we don't want to force what nobody wants the handmaid's tale. Nobody wants the handmaid's tale. Nobody wants to force women to have babies or like, that's just gross. No, that's not a thing. Um, no, but do we, the, the optics of like forcing women to have children, um, against their will, you know, if there's a woman and she's pregnant, but the irony is our society, like, have you ever seen a pregnant woman, like smoking a cigarette on the corner or like drinking a drinking alcohol in a bar and like the way that people like even, even people who are like super, super pro-choice react to pictures of, of things like that or react when they see things like that demonstrates that they know that it's wrong. And they're like, Oh no, 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 honey, do not do that. But at the same time, like we also, we protect pregnant women in our society where we, you know, we try to accommodate them as much as possible. Um, get the so good seats what do you guys, show. yeah, you get the good seats, but what do you guys think about, you know, that is like, how do you combat those, the narrative of like, we don't want to force women, you know, it's my, it's my body, whatever. Like, how do you combat that narrative? That's a tough one. <laughs> I, think- I know. I mean, it, it, it is because it's like you, you know, I'm, you're against abortion. So um, I guess I, I just always go back to like trying to be as compassionate as possible, but also saying um, it's not just your body. And that's what this is about. Like it, it's not yeah. just your body. It's another body, too. And it's another life. And, um, you know, 
we're not and gonna, also, you know, there, I don't know. After like, after like 30 something weeks, might as well just keep going, girlfriend. You're almost there, right? Is it, am I crazy? Well, I mean, that's why when I, when I see people talk about third trimester abortions, I'm like, who are these that's people? the easiest even? trimester. It, it doesn't even make sense. You've gone through all the hard parts, like... Yeah, well, morning I, sickness. Like, at that point, I just feel like there's got to be some, some, something mentally going on up there for right. you to do that. If if there was, uh, with the exception of like the health. Um, yeah, which is also super rare. They always try to say that the only reason that women have late term abortions is because there's a medical deformity um, with, or that there has to be like a fetal abnormality, and that's not true. Um, because and we well. We also know that the the percentage of false positives for fetal abnormalities are extremely high. I have two, and I, again, I can I can give both anecdotal evidence and like statistics. But I have two friends who were advised to abort their children because they had fetal abnormalities, um, and both gave birth to perfectly healthy children. And their doctors were just like, "Oops!" And they were like, "What if we'd had an abortion?" Like, are you kidding me? And yeah. and that is, that's just, you know, once I started sharing those stories on Twitter, hundreds of women and hundreds of people were sharing stories of, yeah, my mom was told to abort me. I'm perfectly healthy. Just turned 26. You know, yeah. tons of people come out of the woodwork when you share those stories. And I think that's why you see so much gray area um, on the issue, because even people who have been kind of, who lean left in politics, if you're the product of uh, you know, a mom that was told to abort you and she didn't, you're going to have a hard time being pro-choice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would also say, um, so it's not an argument against abortion. It's just more of how, this is how I approach it. Um, there are so many great charities that cater to women that are in a crisis pregnancy. Oh, yeah. Take them in. That will clothe them. They will house them. They will help them take care of the baby. There's also so many great groups that help with um, women after they have an abortion. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with the aftermath that comes with that. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of guilt or confusion or I don't know if I made the right decision. And I know through my church, uh, well, I mean, the Catholic Church is probably one of the biggest um, biggest uh, funders of, of groups like this that cater to that specific thing. And I think it's so important to give more than just money, just to give your time and actually visit these women and to show them love. Mm -hmm. and, and give them your child care for crying out loud. Everyone loves to babysit. People don't realize if you have a couple hours a week that you can, that you can give to someone um, and provide them with child care so that a single mom can go, you know, job hunting or something like that, then that is, that's the thing to do people. Um, so I'll give you guys some links to put in the show notes. Yeah, I, that'd be great, actually. Yes, sorry, I'm talking yeah. to you. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I, having yeah. gone through this, I'm only two months in, and I I feel more confident now, so I can do whole days by myself, and I feel like a rock star afterwards. But at the very beginning, it's so hard. And so, like, and I know it's it's going to get tough, and people, single moms and single dads that have to do this all by themselves, like, they deserve the entire neighborhood to constantly be, like, coming to their door and taking the baby so they can have a nap and fixing them dinner. And I just feel like the loss of community has kind of contributed to an uptick in maybe like the people not being so sensitive to those mm -hmm. types of needs. And so I do my best to try to make sure that people that I know around me or that I'm 
I'm always keeping up with my girlfriends. Um, if someone's sad, I'm always inquiring why. It's not like they're always, they're not always knocked up or like worried about an unwanted pregnancy, but right. be, be a good friend and make sure that they have, they're equipped with knowledge and they understand their options pre-pregnancy uh, if they like to get busy. But like, you know, mm-hmm. just be like, be a good person and be in touch with your friends and then help, help those people that aren't, are strangers um, when you know that they're in a tough situation. And that's one way that we can all grow and heal as a collective. I think absolutely. I think that is a lovely note to end on. What do you think? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to say, leave on the table before we wrap this up? No, I think Sarah nailed it. I think yeah. everybody should be, be more compassionate, be more um, giving of your time and your resources, talk to people, have conversations. Um, maybe you don't have to get into serious abortion debates with uh, people who you know that you're diabolically opposed to, um, but just demonstrate in your life and in your actions that you're someone who cares about people um, by the charities that you work with or the or the the resources that you support. Um, and I think that makes all the difference. I do yeah. want to underline one thing. If you know someone who has had an abortion, do not hold that against them. Do not judge them. You need to be nothing but loving towards them. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's just one moment in their life. And that does not define who they are. And, um, and certainly will, should not have an impact on their future in a, in a, in a negative way. So if you know someone like that, because I mean, I'm from the South and I know people like to hold those things against people for an entire lifetime or gossip about it. Like that, th- that is one area that we could all, you know, do a solid for the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. Stop doing those things because yeah. that is not helpful. And that's just going to hold that person back. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. little bit of compassion goes a long way. hundred yeah. percent. And yes. we could all do a lot better to show each other some grace and yes. heated political debates. Well, guys, it's true. Thank you for having this conversation with us, Lindsay. Yay. I'm hoping we get to have a more lighthearted conversation next time about something like our leggings pants. Yes. <laughs> our hot dog sandwiches. What? Yes. <laughs> our cat's pineapple dog. On yes. There's so many big debates that we can get into next time. But I hope you guys will have me on again. I know I talked a ton. This is an issue that obviously – it matters to so many people, but I could talk about it for hours. So you really picked a good one. But this was so much fun. You guys are awesome. I love this podcast. I love how many new podcasts there are for conservative women. I'm so glad to see more and more and more voices coming out in this space and making their voices heard. And I just think I love having a diverse uh, group of podcasts to listen to. And this is another viewpoint that I just love. Well, we'll have you on the so next Keep one. it up. Yeah. Okay, cool. So thanks, again, guys. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, do us a solid. Uh, give us give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to us on. Um, we will see you next week, same time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Okay. Cool. Thank you, guys.